All right. Good morning, church. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Let's do this again. Good morning, church. Yes. Awesome. All right. Hey, if you have your Bibles, please put those in your lap for a second. It could be a phone, it could be an iPad, it could be the physical Bible, it could be one of uh, our Bibles in the chairs in front of you. I just want you to set it in your lap. We're going to get to that in just a second. Today we're starting a brand new six-week series called The Word of God. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to be unpacking all different aspects of of behind it. Really, we're looking at the inspiration behind it, the infallibility behind it, the authority behind it, the timelessness behind it, and other things. We're going to be diving into some of these things that we always hear when we talk about the Word of God, what it is. We're going to actually unpack those so that you're able to fully wrap your mind around those, but also in conversations, be able to understand what people are talking about. They say the infallibility of the Word of God. Well, exactly what does that mean, and, and, and why can't I stake my life on that? And so that's what we're going to be digging into. And as I started preparing for this series several weeks ago, I started looking through several different scripture passages that kind of hit each of these different points. And as I looked through the scriptures, I found that Psalm 19, and you can go ahead and turn to that, that Psalm 19 in a few short verses encapsulates at least as our home base, everything that we need to know about what Scripture is, the foundation behind it, and then we certainly take rabbit trails from there. But Psalm 19 is all in one place. And believe it or not, God actually knew what he was doing when he did that. There, there are all different connections in the Scriptures. And I want to, uh, my hope is, I'm just going to put cards on the table. My hope is at the end of this series, you are more encouraged and more driven to dive into the Word of God than you have before. That's my goal. That's my goal is to convince you that you ought to carve out an enormous amount of your life dedicated to such uh, scriptures. So for the next six weeks, we're going to look at, at all these important aspects of the Bible uh, revealed by God, and, and we're going to use Psalm 19. So uh, would you please stand? We're going to read Psalm chapter 19, verses 7 through 14. I'm going to read, just follow along. It's also going to be on the screen. If you're joining us at home, good morning, welcome. We're glad you're here. We missed you at our breakfast potluck. If you're here in the room and you didn't come, we missed you for our breakfast potluck. We had a great time. We also had a ton of gluten-free stuff. So if we do this again, please come again, uh, and we're going to have a great, great time, but it was wonderful. You were missed, um, but we hope that you at home are having a blessed morning uh, today. And so let's, let's turn our attention to the Word of God. Here's what it says in the book of Psalm, chapter 19, starting at verse 7. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are they're right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They are a warning to your servant, a great reward for those who obey them. How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Maybe you've asked that question 
before. Cleanse me from all of these hidden faults, sins I'm not even aware of. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. Verse 14, may the words of my mouth, this is my prayer today, Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That's the word of the Lord. You may have a seat. If you're holding uh, a Bible in your hand, you hold the most amazing book ever written on the face of the planet. You hold in your hand uh, the most amazing book that will ever be written in the palms of your hand. It is not only a bestseller, it is the bestseller of the bestsellers. There has never been a book more purchased, more distributed than the Bible. It's the most translated. It is the most printed. It's the most purchased. It's the most distributed to nations around the world that don't even have books. No other book can even come close to the Bible. Among all the books in all the world, it is absolutely, and we, we tend to throw this word around quite a bit, it is unique. But the Bible is the epitome of unique in its words. Because there's no other book on the planet that claims to bring life. You could read a wonderful book. You can dive into that with a cup of coffee and a, and a chair. Yesterday it was raining for part of the day. and You can curl up with a blanket and dive into a really good book, but it's not going to give life. The Bible is the only one who does that. So let's start with some of the basics. I know for some of you, uh, as I was going through this and getting ready for this series, some of this is going to be review. Uh, which is great. It's always good to have a review. Some of you are older in the room and you can say, well, I'm still learning and you're my heroes. We always need to hear things over and over and over in repetition. For some of you, this is going to be new. Either you're online checking us out or, or you're here in attendance. Some of this stuff is going to be new to you. I don't want you to feel bad because we all have to start somewhere in understanding this book. Again, remember my intention. My game plan is at the end of this series, you want to dive deep deeper into this book. So we're going to start with some of the basics. The Bible is made up of 66 different books. And you go, well, that's weird. I've never read a book that's in a book that has a book. That's the Bible. 66 different books written by roughly 36, if you want to debate it, 36 to 40 different authors uh, over the course of three different continents and 16 different centuries. It's amazing. It's written in Greek. It's written in Hebrew. It's written in Aramaic. It is amazing this particular book. The Old Testament, where we, we talk about the beginning part of the Bible, and we'll reference that often in sermons, the beginning part is the Old Testament, and that was written in? Old times, good. What language? <laughs> Hebrew, very, very good. Old times works. All right, you get participation trophy, yay. Okay, New Testament, the second part of the Bible is written in? Greek, very, very good. New times, if you would. Uh, and what's interesting in the Bible is it has a little bit of everything. It's got uh, historical narrative. It has poetry. It has politics. It has history. It has styles. It has languages. It has prophecy. All of it is in here. There's war. There's sex. There, there is uh, deceiving one another. There is meals. There are campfires. There are adventures left and right. I, I just finished reading the book of Ezra, and I was getting to a point where, and I've, it's been a long time since I've read Ezra, 
so I was at a cabin a couple weeks ago, and I'm thumbing through, and I'm reading. I'm like, what happens next? Go read the book of Ezra. You'll understand why I was asking the question, what happens next? There is the diversity of authors, different backgrounds, different levels of education, uh, different professions that God called through the power of the Spirit to write these books, not to us, but for us. This is all found in the Holy Scriptures. And the Bible presents one in all of that. Keep in mind, in all of that, and, and I don't know if you've, how many of you remember, some of you, it's going to be a while, Ed, uh, how many of you remember writing a paper? Raise your hand. Yeah, you remember writing a research paper? And I'm not talking like a little five page, I'm talking like 15, 20 page. And it's hard to keep it all together. Like what comes first and which paragraph? Like imagine what's in the scriptures. It could be complete chaos. And yet there is one single unified message all throughout the Holy Scripture, page after page after page, and that is this, God's salvation of the world through Jesus Christ, his son. Everywhere you look, every page, every chapter, every story is pointing to this man, Jesus Christ. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. The Old Testament sets the stage for Christ's coming. The Gospels present Jesus' life teachings, death, and resurrection, and then the rest of the New Testament explains what it means, what all of that means to us. It's amazing how it all works together. And it's fascinating, the deeper you dive, the deeper you can get. It's fairly easy to stay on the surface. It's, it's fairly easier, easy, as Alex just said, just to read the word of a psalm. But to go deeper and dig deeper and, and understand more of what's going on, that's where the thrill comes about. That's the mystery. That's the beauty. Okay, so Psalm 19, an incredible psalm. Not only that, it's an incredible psalm about God's incredible book. That's what's crazy. It's, a, it's the only psalm that describes really the essence of itself, of the book. It's a psalm about the Bible. So let's look. Psalm 19, psalm about David, is generally considered one of the wisdom psalms, one of the most wise psalms that you can wrap your mind around. And here's what C.S. Lewis wrote about it. He said, I take this, Psalm 19, I take this to be the greatest poem in the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in the world, C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis knew how to write. I don't know if you knew that. Pretty good writer, pretty good author, pretty good wordsmither, uh, if that's even a word. Um, but nevertheless, he was amazing. C.S. Lewis was not only a writer, he was also an Oxford professor, a respected literary critic, and an accomplished poet himself. And so this is pretty high praise, grabbing this one psalm and saying, this is amazing. Psalm 19, it's a psalm about God's revelation on how God reveals himself to us. The, the reason why this is a big deal and, and re the reason why this series is a big deal is because it opens up the secret that's not so secret on how to find true life. How, how, how to dig in and, and hold on to something that's secure, that's not gonna fade away. Something that's gonna be everlasting forever until we take our last breath. It's the Holy Scriptures. 
The, the first part, found in verses 1 through 6, speaks of God's glory as revealed in creation. We read this in Psalm 19.1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies, what? Proclaim the works of his hands. Do you know that the earth, all of what God has created, worships day in and day out? The skies proclaim his goodness. The mountains cry out in worship. When you're silent, when you're too tired to get up to read your Bible, when you're too tired to pray, when you can't focus enough, creation fills in the gaps. That's how awesome God is. And that's how this psalm opens up for us. This is what uh, theologians and uh, scholars will describe as a general revelation. If you're into taking notes throughout this series, we are going to get a little meaty. We're going to get into some terms and definitions to help you better understand the Bible, to better understand how God works. And this is one of them. God uses what's called general revelation, and that is what is found in creation. That is a, a revelation that is open for every single person that's ever been born on the face of the planet for all to witness God's amazing creation every day of our lives. That's why if you've ever asked the question, well, what about the people in the tribes of Africa that have never heard general revelation? God works to reveal who he is in the heart. Miranda and, and several of you have been to these, these countries where you go, well, how will they know? God works in a very, very unique way, and that is through general revelation. That means every one of your coworkers, every one of your neighbors, every one of your family members is stirred in their hearts to go, there is a creator. Now, we can get into debates on do they resist it, do they push that away, do they fill in the answer to that with something else, but there is something in us through general revelation that God reveals himself in the scriptures. God has created all things. All of his creation testifies, testifies to his power, testifies to his creativity, testifies to his love, testifies to his goodness. All of creation does this. We read about this in the book of Romans, Romans chapter one, verse 20. It says this, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, meaning his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men, humanity, whatever word you want to put in there, are without excuse. God is not unfair. God does not sit up and, and go, I have a secret and I'm going to hide it on earth and you're going to spend the rest of your life trying to find that secret. And if you don't find the secret, you're going to hell. Now, oftentimes, maybe you've thought that, but a lot of times that's what culture thinks. Uh, culture thinks it's a game, and, and therefore the response is, well, why would your loving God play that kind of a game? And the reality is he doesn't. He doesn't play that game. Romans makes it abundantly clear that since the beginning of creation, God's invisible qualities have been clearly seen. They're on display for the whole world to see. And that's amazing, but that's only part one. Listen, general revelation uh, for every man, every woman on this planet is sufficient to teach us that there is a God. That's what general revelation does. 
That's why you'll often see people who are far away from faith in Jesus Christ, but they'll pray because they know there's a God. Or when uh, something horrific happens in our nation, we bow and we pray to God because, again, there's this vacuum inside us that goes, there must be more. There must be a God. And that's what general revelation does. However, general revelation by itself is not enough to teach us about God's will and the means God has provided for salvation. That's a different level of God revealing himself in and through the scriptures. For that, we need what's called special revelation, if you're taking notes. So there's general revelation, this overall revealing to mankind that there is a God. Uh, I'm on display left and right uh, through even more so now as, as we develop technology for NASA and to see way beyond. All it does is reveal there must be something out there. So that's general revelation. Special revelation is a revelation of salvation and how salvation can be obtained. It's a different kind of revelation. So the second part of this particular psalm, verses 7 through 14, speaks in special revelation. It provides the answers, all in the scriptures. And in speaking of God's word, David uses a variety of terms. We're gonna, we're gonna be looking, at, we're gonna spend the next six weeks on Psalm 19, so you're gonna know this intimately, okay? He uses some interesting words. He talks about the law, statutes, precepts, commands, ordinances. He also uses the word fear in verse 19. If you're into writing notes, you can just highlight that word. We're gonna unpack that. Uh, when we get to that section. But what I want you to see right now is the variety of terms that David uses for Scripture and then the qualities that he attaches to them. Because if we take all the verses together, here's what we learn that God's Word is. You're going to see it on the screen. You'll see it on your, your screen at home. This is what Psalm 19 tells us. It tells us in 7 through 14 all throughout is that the Word of God is inspired. We're going to hit on that here in just a moment. We, we learn in verse 7 that, that the word of God is infallible. We, we're going to look at verse 8 that the word of God is authoritative. Uh, it's not just me that's preaching this. Alex is going to help. Mark Arnett's going to help. And, and we're digging in to really help you understand this. But they're right here in the scriptures. But then they're, they're splinting off uh, various verses that support this. Verse 9, that the word of God is everlasting. It, it, it just shouts in the face of those who will say, that's just an ancient book. Like, you know, that, that was for back then. That was for old times. Uh, not necessarily the word of God is everlasting. Uh, verses 10 through 11, that it's priceless, more precious than gold. That there is no price you can attach to the word of God. And then finally, at the very end of this series, 12 through 14, it's sanctifying. A prayer to be pleasing to God that the word of God lived out in your life is sanctifying and you're a pleasure to God. Yes, you, e even amidst your sin, even amidst your struggle, even amidst your questions, you are a sanctifying pleasure to the God of all creation. 
That's amazing in a world that is constantly pointing out what we say is wrong or what we wear is wrong or how we act is wrong or what we believe is wrong. In a world that says that, the Bible says you're good. And you're good with me, God says, the most important thing. And so these six qualities make up the six parts of our series on the Word of God. Are we good with that so far? That's our platform. That's where we're going over the next six weeks, including today. Okay, finally, today I want us to focus on the first of these terms, the fact that the Bible is God's inspired word. That's what the word of God is. Notice that the repeated phrase of the Lord in verses seven through nine, it's all the time, of the Lord, of the Lord. The Bible is not simply an old law, old statutes, old precepts, old commands, old ordinances. It is the law of the Lord. It is the statutes of the Lord. It is the precepts of the Lord. It is the command of the Lord, the ordinance of the Lord. In other words, the word of God comes from God. That you go, well, duh. And there's a side of me that would agree with you. There's a whole nother side of me that says, not so fast. Because to say the word duh means we all understand that. Well, the reality is if we all understood that these words come exactly from the mouth and the heart of God, we'd read it more. We would make this more a part of our day than we do anything else. That Netflix would pale in comparison. That when I get alerts on my iWatch uh, or Apple Watch that says, uh, hey, you're, you're you know, time on your phone is up 78%, and I go, ignore. Uh, you know, like, if we really understood that day in and day out, that would occupy our time. Not sports, not fishing, not shopping, not spending, not relationships, not family, nothing. The word of God would occupy our time. And so again, this is why it's important to just constantly remind ourselves. And so what do we mean when we say that the word of God is inspired? And you say, well, God is God. Who in the world inspired God? Well, God inspired God. And it starts to sound like a Dr. Seuss book, but there's some truth in this. And there's beauty in this. Because why? God is perfect. He is the best. I wish there were more words to describe what, what his heart is, but there's nothing greater, more pure, more perfect than God in his heart. And he inspires the words that we get to read. Let me share with you three things so that you can understand this a little bit better. First of all, we mean that all scripture is God-breathed. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture. How much scripture? All, every, every word. Now, what's common in the church today, more so than any other time, is not only do we nitpick at culture, but we nitpick at scripture, and we go, I don't like that, I like that. I like that, I like that, I don't like that. This is not uh, a buffet, right? We, we can't go like what we just said and went, ooh, I don't like, you know, uh, muffin-wrapped wieners or whatever, you know, whatever we had over there. Uh, you know, I like those, ooh, mushrooms, no, not my thing. We, we can't treat the word of God that way. Probably shouldn't have said wieners in church, Lindsay, thank you. All right, I already know where that's going. Sorry, sorry. All scripture is God-breathed or is translated in other versions, all scripture is inspired by God. We're gonna get into this in a couple weeks. He didn't mess up. He didn't make any mistakes. Now, we cannot like what Scripture says. 
We cannot appreciate what Scripture says. We can push back on it, but we can't say, that's of God, that's not, that's of God, that's not. That doesn't work that way. Notice that, it's, that it is the words of Scripture themselves that are inspired, not simply the author's. Because a lot of times we go, well, who does Paul think he is? Quite honestly, nobody. He makes it abundantly clear as he even writes about himself, I'm a nobody. If he were here today, which would be an amazing guest preacher, if, if I were to bring in the Apostle Paul and go, hey, just, you know, buddy of mine just popped in, and I would go, hey, were you inspired or were the words? He would deflect everything away from himself and say, the words are inspired by the word of God. Not me. I'm a sinful, broken man. I died a death just like you're all gonna die. I, I'm, a, I'm a physical being, but the words, the words have life. The words have power. When we talk about the Bible as God's inspired word, we do not mean that God inspired some people a long time ago to write some amazing things. That just cheapens the word of God. It's so much more than that. Please don't limit it to that. It is so much greater. It's so much richer. It's so much more life-giving. It is not the authors who were inspired. It is the very words of the Scripture that are inspired. Every single word brought because God wanted it there. Paul says that they are God-breathed. The word breathed brings up images of the mouth and the lips speaking. As you speak, as I'm speaking to you, I'm taking air in, I'm taking air out. Don't get into complex of like how much of that is oxygen and like whatever. I'm breathing as I'm standing up here. It's the same idea as God is inspiring these words. He's breathing out, he's breathing out words and they're written down. It's all from him. That's what's inspired. And so when we say that scripture is God-breathed, we literally mean that it literally comes from the mouth of God. He didn't uh, push it off to a really great angel. He he didn't push it off. Ethan, stand up, Ethan. Everybody look at Ethan. He's like 100 pounds now. Uh, Ethan's back there. He's our worship intern. We love him. Uh, It's not like we went to, God went to an intern in heaven and said, hey, can you just jot down like Malachi real quick? That's not the way it worked. These came from the mouth and the heart of the God of all creation. So when we read the Bible, we're not reading the words of men. We're reading the very word of God from his mouth. That's powerful. Of course, we see this later testified throughout the Bible. We read in Exodus chapter 24, verse 4, Moses then wrote down everything that the Lord said. We read in Job 23, 12, I have not departed from the commands of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. How many of you have had a loved one pass away and you remember the last words they said to you or the last major conversation? You hold on to those as precious. They're of such value to you. Why? Because you're never gonna get that person back. So you remember those words. You remember the conversation. You remember the laughter and the banter. You remember those moments. And here we say, Job, I hold on to these as a treasure. Or we can look at what Jesus said about scripture in Matthew 4, 4. 
Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Every word. All scripture is God-breathed. The whole Bible is God's word. I like the way Puritan Thomas Watson wrote uh, when he talked about God's word. Here's what he says. Oh, then, search the scriptures. Talking about the importance of the holy word of God. Oh, then, search the scriptures. There is no danger in plucking from this tree of the holy scripture. If we do not eat of this tree of knowledge, we shall surely die. Read the Bible with reverence. Think in every line you read that God is speaking to you. Read with seriousness, affection, not only as a history, but as a love letter sent you from God, which may affect your hearts. Pray that the same spirit that wrote the word may assist you in reading it, that God's spirit would show you the wonderful things of his law. Something Ed would write. Ed's an incredible writer. Just this this Puritan talking about, I don't know how else to tell you this, but read it. Pluck it away. Read in every line, God is speaking to you. And I just want to say to you, friends, God wants to speak to you. He wants to speak to you in your hardships. He wants to speak to you in your pain. He wants to speak to you in your decision-making. He, he wants to speak to you as you're navigating getting older. He wants to speak to you as you're figuring out attending a new church. He wants to speak to you as you're holding a brand new baby. Darnell's glad you're in the house with the little one. Like, God wants to speak to you every day, every single day. And someone might object, but wasn't the Bible written down by men, though? That might be an objection. How then could it be God's word, which leads us to our second point? The inspiration of Scripture, that that the word of God is inspired. Men spoke from God by the Holy Spirit. So it wasn't Paul sitting down and go, ooh, man, I got a zinger. This is going to be amazing. Like They're going to talk about this for centuries. And that's not how it happened. The word of God was put together. Men spoke from God by the Holy Scripture. God didn't drop the Bible fully written from heaven. It's not like... You know, all these authors received their manuscripts to review via Amazon, and then they reviewed it and kind of put it all together. It's not how it worked. He used people to bring it about, human authors involved in the writing of the Holy Scriptures in a very personal and powerful way. But no Scripture ever came about by one person's own interpretation. If that were the case, then next week would be a real pickle when we talk about the infallibleness of the Word of God. It didn't come from an individual. It didn't come from what they thought deemed to be appropriate. Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, notice that phrase, carried along by the Holy Spirit. Can any of you remember being a young kid and like to be carried? Or whatever age you are now and you like to be carried? Paul? Yeah? Awesome. If you don't know Paul, Paul's the one who sings loud, and and we love it. Paul, I'm sure, likes to be carried. So the word translated carried along it is a word that was used of ships being carried along by the wind. That's where this was particularly used in this psalm, is that 
the wind would carry along a ship and therefore the ship would move from one point to another. So picture a number of different boats at different starting points, but all being carried by the same wind to the same destination. And that's exactly what is described how scripture was written down by different men with different personalities from different cultures living in different centuries, but they were all being carried by the wind of the Holy Spirit. Same Holy Spirit, same heart, same passion, same commitment. What's the commitment, Brian? The commitment to bring you life and to bring it in abundance. And that same wind blew all these ships, i.e. authors, to create this incredible book with one single message, one single heart, and that is the majesty of Jesus Christ. The Bible was inspired by God, but written by men. How? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. So what do we mean by when we say the Bible is inspired by God, look at this screen. All scriptures God breathed, men spoke from God by the Holy Spirit, and then finally, what scripture says, God says. What scripture says, God says. This is where it gets a little bit personal because I'll just grab Paul. Paul gets a bad rap for some of the things that he has to say in there. Don't shoot the messenger. If you don't like what Paul says, what he says is what God says. God says everything found in the Holy Scriptures. So when you read the New Testament, if you look closely, you find a fascinating pattern. Again and again, we find passages in the New Testament in which God is said to speak words which in the Old Testament are attributed to Scripture. It's this crazy roller coaster of Scripture. Now, stick with me on this final point because I'm going to show you how it actually works. In short, what Scripture says, God says. I'll give you an example. We read in Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 to 23. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child. Okay, we read that. We've read that many times, mostly at Christmas, but we've read that. Matthew tells us that it is God who said that. But when you go back to the Old Testament, you find he is quoting from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, which is the word of God. So he's quoting scripture that's quoting scripture that is breathed by God, meaning there is purpose behind this. This isn't just circumstantial. These aren't just things that happen. As part of the Bible that's inspired is there are over 300 prophecies about the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and he nailed most of them. No objection? Thank you. Objection? All of them. He nailed every single one of them. And that's just Jesus, but there's other prophecies all throughout the scripture that were all nailed. Not because a couple of dudes got together and wrote words. Because there was an author and a creator of this book that knew exactly what he was doing to put it together to bring understanding for you about him. There is no other being, there's no other topic, no other being, no other person, no other discussion that is more complex than God. And he knows that, but he wants you to understand. 
so that you can find life. You can find it in the Holy Scriptures. Or we can look in Matthew chapter 19. Jesus says this. The creator said, notice that, the creator said, it's almost like Jesus going, don't blame me. The creator said, the creator said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. That's in Matthew 19, 4 and 5. Uh, which, by the way, we married the Russos off yesterday. Alex was here, so we're super excited for Alex and Christina. Super excited for them. You can see that on our social media, a picture of those two young lovebirds, which is super cool. Um, anyway, all of this took place. Uh, here we go. 19, 4 through 5. Jesus tells us that it's God who spoke these words. Yet when you go back to the Old Testament you find he is simply quoting from Genesis 2.24. He's quoting God himself. Once again, what Scripture says, God says. And, and we could go on and on and on with examples of how this is constantly being played out in Scriptures, but you won't know it unless you're in the Word. You won't know it unless something's guiding you, a, a Bible reading plan or a Bible study, or you decide, oh, I'm going to read this book, or uh, I'm going to read a couple of verses every day, but not just read the verses. It, it is so easy to grab one of those like encouragement of the day books, which if that's what you do, I'm not throwing shade on that, but it is so easy just to read a verse and be done, but you miss out on so much of the life behind it. So maybe your next step is to go a little bit deeper. The point is to realize the Bible is God's inspired word. Inspired by who? God himself. And, and why inspired? Because you need it. Because you need these scriptures. Because you need these insights. Because you need this encouragement. Because you need to be wrapped up in the awe of God that he is so much more complex, so much more detailed, so much more good than you ever thought humanly possible. That's what being in the word of God does. And what scripture says, God says, the Bible is God's inspired word that reveals to us through his son, most importantly, and if you walk away with nothing else, walk away with this, most importantly, the Bible teaches us the way of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins. There you have it. That's what the whole Bible does. If you've ever had the privilege and the sometimes agonizing journey of reading the Bible from cover to cover, you will walk away with that message. That from the beginning, God has been pursuing you and he did it ultimately through Jesus Christ who died on the cross for your sins. And that's what we learn through the inspiration of God. And I want to encourage you, friends. I, I genuinely want to encourage you. This, this book is inspired. It's infallible. It's authoritative. It's everlasting. It's priceless. It's sanctifying. What today means in part is you can trust these words. You can trust that every time you read something and you go, well, that didn't make a whole lot of sense. I'll give you an example. Let me just, I'm gonna thumb. This isn't a magic trick. I'm just gonna thumb. Hopefully it's something appropriate. Um, fair enough. Uh, Proverbs chapter 25, verse 23. As surely as the north wind brings rain, so a gossiping tongue causes anger. 
I just heard God's heart in that. Now, did it change my life? I, I don't know. Um, I might go look at the north wind and see if rain's coming. I, I might keep better control of my tongue because it causes anger. But anytime you spend in Scripture, it doesn't come back void. Why? Because you're reading the voice of God to you in your life. Now, is everything going to be applicable? No, we're not going to play this game like I could literally do that. And that's why grabbing individual verses isn't exactly the healthiest thing because you need to unpack its context. But nevertheless, any time you spend in the Word of God is going to be life-giving to you. Why? Because you're spending time with the Creator. You're spending time with the Lord of all creation. You're spending time with the one who is the only one in this planet that understands you. No one else understands you. They might come close. They might know all of your quirks. But this God we speak of that inspired this word is the only one who knows you. He's the only one who knows what you need. He's the only one who can comfort you. He's the only one that can unwrap your eyes of, of, of shading in the eyes so that you can see life for what it's really going to be. He's the only one that can give you a future. He's the only one that can dictate your self-worth. He's the only one that, that can encourage you when you're down. He's the only one that will not give up on you when the chips are down. He is the only one, he is the only one, he is the only one. And we find his heart, his love, his passion in the scriptures. You can trust the word of God. You can trust the inspiration. So let's read it. Let's read the word of God every single day. I want to give you a challenge, both for, for you loved ones at home and for those of you who are in this room. I just want to encourage you to read Psalm 19 every day for the next six weeks. There's only 14 verses. You can almost hold your breath and read it. It's not going to take a ton of your time. And ask God to reveal himself in those scriptures, in those verses, each one. You read it again. You read it again. So if you do the math, six times seven is, well done, 42. So you're going to read a single chapter of the scripture. If you take my encouragement, you're going to read this single chapter 42 times. What's going to be amazing about that is God is going to bring something new each time. Because he's God. And what's great is there's a handful of you in this room. There are people online. We're a church of about 150 to 200 that he alone is going to make his way and speak to each and every one of you in a different way. He's going to reveal something to Alex as Alex reads it. And that's going to be different than what he reveals to Dan and what he reveals to Polly and what he reveals to Linda. That's what he's going to do. He's going to bring something different that you can hold on to and sit with. Maybe it's a slap in the face because you need it, quite frankly. Maybe it's an encouraging word. Maybe it's a hug. Maybe it's uh, some peace. But he is going to deliver what he wants to deliver. So grab Grab a Bible, grab multiple different versions if you want to do that. Grab a pen, grab a marker, grab a pencil, and, and allow this to be a season of six weeks of, I'm not just going to be all over the scriptures, I am going to know this chapter of the psalm more than any other chapter 
in the Bible. And if you do that, I want to give you a promise. You will want to read your scripture more. If not, the elders will take you to dinner <laughs> or, or something. I was going to say I would, but yeah, I'm not doing that. I don't have that kind of money. But I promise you, if, if you dive in every single day and, and spend time, and don't just read it like you're reading as fast as you can, but contemplate on it and, and ask God to reveal to you, you're going to want to read more of Scripture. And then join us next week as we unpack that all Scripture is infallible. I'm super excited for this series. Uh, again, uh, not holding cards close to the, to the breast. Uh, my intention is to encourage you, to excite you, to impassion you, to want to read your Bibles more. That's it. And the more that we understand what the Bible is, the more we understand how it's put together, the more we understand why it's put together, my hope and my prayer is that it causes you to want to dig in just a little bit deeper. Just take a step this week. Even if you go, man, I'm not reading 14 verses. No problem. There's, there's no law here. Read Psalm 19, verse 1. And then maybe next week, add a verse. Start wherever you can, but push yourself. That's my encouragement. Are we good? Awesome. Let's pray together. Lord, the Word of God, the, the Holy Scriptures, this book is amazing. This book is life-giving. Psalm chapter 20, just right after our chapter, verse 1. In times of trouble, may the Lord answer your cry. For some of you, you've cried here recently. You've cried out for God. You've cried out in pain. You, you've cried out in anguish. You've cried out for answers. You've cried out for understanding. You've cried out for help. Psalm 20, verse 1, in times of trouble, may the Lord answer your cry. God, your word is just filled over and over and over, and nowhere does it say that it's going to change our circumstances, but over and over and over it says we won't be alone in our circumstances. And that's ultimately what we need, whether it's raising children or... or, or um, dealing with newborns or marriage problems or employment issues or figuring out what we're going to do when we grow up. We need the Word of God. We also need it for hope and for peace and for a bright, bright light to shine on what is truth in a world that is constantly redefining what truth is, what isn't. As we talked about a few weeks ago from Isaiah 5, redefining what is evil and good and calling evil good and good evil, calling light dark and darkness light. And so we need it. We need your words to, to show us. And then we need encouragement and, and boldness and, and strength to apply it. So we want to commit. We want to commit as a church. We want to commit um, to reading this psalm every single day, very quickly, 14 verses. 
We want to commit to you so that we can grow deeper in our understanding. So this morning, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, if, if you'll make that commitment, not to anybody else in this room, but to God himself, not even to me, I'm, my eyes are closed, would you just lift up your hand before God, say, I will, I will read Psalm 19 every day for the next six weeks as we go through this journey, and then set it down. No one's looking, it's between you and God, and so, God, those hands that are raised both here and, and virtually online, think of dear Scott. We love you, Scott. Think of Linda. We love you. We love so many of you who, who chime in and, 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 and worship with us every week. May God give you strength to pour yourself in the scriptures. And we promise to open our minds to learn from you each day. We pray this in the name of Jesus and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's stand and worship.